How many of you two weeks ago shot off some fireworks? You bought some fireworks, you spent some money, and you shot some fireworks off. Raise your hand up. Be a leader and raise your hand. Don't lie in church if you shot up some fireworks. We went over to Katie Mills Mall and watched free fireworks. How about that? Free fireworks. I have never shot off a firework in my life. I have not. I grew up in, in a state that I thought uh, all states were like this. It's only one of four states, the state of Illinois, that it is illegal to buy and shoot fireworks. Melissa, stay out of my preaching for a change. Good night in the morning. I've never shot off fireworks, and I thought that was normal until I met my wife, and she was telling me about all of her fireworks experiences growing up. Well, I ran into this picture. I thought it was good advice. Here it is. Guys with an eye patch and three fingers sell the best fireworks. <laughs> Amen? Let's pray and close out with decision time and go home. Oh, I'm just kidding. There's some advice. Here's the deal with church. Church seems to have three different elements of church. There's doubtfulness, there's being scared, and there's being excited. This gal right here watching her first set of fireworks, I think, shows all three of these. There's the doubt. And then there's the scared. Kind of looks like some of you during church. And then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go, Jesus. Hawaiian shirt day. Hey, she was having fun with her fireworks. And I don't know if you can tell yet, if you're new to us, we like to have fun in church. Amen? And we think church ought to be a positive experience. It ought to be fun. And you might have guessed it just by the attire that we are wearing today. However, I got to tell you that this passage in Mark chapter 6 is not very fun. It bothered me this week. It made my stomach crawl as I read it. I studied it. I meditated upon it as I was preparing this message. And it is a picture of John the Baptist's death. And it just bothered me all week. It's a picture of what sin does to our lives, the direction that sin takes us through our lives. If we don't grab a hold of it, it is a painful story to read because it reflects too much of myself, I think. Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. He had married his brother's wife. You read that, right? Uh, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Verse 21, finally the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guest. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. 
At once the girl hurried in to the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guest, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Boy, you think Hollywood is crazy. That is a soap opera of soap operas right there. We have been preaching verse by verse through the book of Mark because we are a Jesus church. We're a baby church. We're a new church for those of us who are uh, in this room for the first time. We are a new church, but we are all about Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, lifting up Jesus, singing about Jesus. And so we studied Jesus, and we have been walking through verse by verse through the book of Mark, explaining about Jesus. But the entire book of Mark, this is the one story that is not about Jesus. Mark wrote one story. Not about Jesus. All the others are about Jesus. This one's about John the Baptist. If you were to ask all the stories in the three-year ministry of Christ and to write one, Mark said, this is the story I'm going to write. And there's two main characters. It's Herod and John. And I'm going to walk us through the characteristics of the two characters named Herod and John. And then we're going to walk through some spiritual ramifications for each and every one of us. Let's talk about John. Many of you, how many of you have been to San Francisco? Do we have any... Uh, oh my goodness. More people have been to San Francisco than have shot off fireworks. <laughs> Weird church. All right. You may know, if you've been watching Shark Week this week, like a true Christian would be, um, <laughs> you may know that in the San Francisco Bay, uh, there's two rivers that come together. Really, it's two bays that come together, and then it exits out underneath the Golden Gate Bridge in a small, narrow passageway and then empties out into the what ocean? Geography majors or third-grade graduates. The Pacific Ocean. And all of that water creates a current that is pretty strong. And I was reading about two young 12-year-old boys who had thrown their football out of the cove too far, went out into the bay. They were trying to grab their football. So they got on a raft, put up an umbrella as their sail, and tried to go out into the bay to grab their football. And then they got into the current of San Francisco Bay, and it just started rushing them out underneath the bridge. And they couldn't control it. They were trying to, to, to wade back to shore. But that once that current gets you, there's almost no turning back to where you go out into the ocean. The waves are big, and it would overcome the raft, 55-degree water. And it is rare that somebody would make it through that. A middle-aged man by the name of Nick Tumultuich saw and heard the commotion from the land. He sprinted half a mile to the farthest point of land. He saw the boat, the, the raft way out there. was just a dot in the horizon and he just jumped in. And he just started swimming. And every 500 yards, he'd look up to see if he was any closer. After 30 minutes of swimming in 55-degree water against the current, he still hadn't reached the raft. But he was close enough now to where he could yell and they could hear him. And he said, take down the umbrella. Because the sail had been taking him out. And they took down the umbrella, and the raft kind of stopped, and he was able to reach the raft, and now the waves were overcoming the raft. And he asked the two boys, can you swim? They said, kind of. And the raft went down, and he grabbed with, with one arm, going toward a nearby pier. He started doing a, a, a side stroke, one arm swimming, the other arm holding the two hands of the two boys. They get to the pier. The Coast Guard saves them. And i got to ask you this question. 
would you be willing to risk your life for someone you've never met? Who is it you would lay down your life for? Jesus said, greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends, John 15. Is there anything you value more than yourself? What is the consuming passion in your life? Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Or whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Here's the deal with John the Baptist. No one questioned where his allegiance lay. Everyone knew the consuming passion in John the Baptist's life was Jesus Christ. You may recall the artist who passed away three years ago, the artist formerly known as Prince Passed away in 2016. He was called the musician of all musicians. I didn't know this, but he knew 27 instruments. He knew how to play 27 instruments. And he made it a goal in his life to write one song per day, seven songs a week, 30 songs a month. Many of the hit songs of the 1980s were actually written by Prince. Songs by Kiss, songs by Chanel Connor, songs by Madonna. We're not technically endorsing all these songs, but he, he wrote a lot of the songs of the 80s and the early 90s were written by Prince. They say, if you knew Prince personally, he was totally devoted to music. 24-7, no question on where his consuming passion lie. He was a fanatic of music. I heard a great definition of a Christian fanatic. Here it is. Anyone who loves Christ more than I do. And John the Baptist had a consuming passion. His name was Jesus. He was probably considered a fanatic. He was intense about his faith in Christ. How do we know? I'm going to tell you four reasons why we know John was all about Jesus. Number one, he pointed everyone to Jesus. When John's disciples were informing him that more people are following Jesus than you now, do you remember what John said? He said, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. Always pointing people to Jesus. He humbled himself before Jesus. It says in John 1, though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandal. He was humbled before Jesus. He found his joy in Jesus. By the way, where you find your joy is where your passion is. In John 3, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. Furthermore, do you know when the first time John the Baptist met Jesus? Do you remember when that was? John the Baptist met Jesus when Jesus was just conceived in Mary's womb. Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist for six months. They're both in the belly. And whenever Mary stood in front of Elizabeth, do you remember what happened to John the Baptist? He, he leapt in his mother's womb. He was jumping for joy the first time he saw Jesus, and they were just in their wombs. He found his joy in Jesus. He pointed everyone to Jesus. He humbled himself before Jesus. He found his joy in Jesus, and he was willing to die for Jesus. He told Herod that his marriage was unlawful. Herod is, had married his brother's wife. That's not only adultery, but that's adultery within the family. And John didn't play it safe. He could have did a sweet little message and not tell him the truth, that that is against God's law. And by telling the king that he was wrong in those days was a death sentence, he didn't care. He was willing to stand for truth no matter who it was. He spoke with conviction and sincerity. It is said that Billy Graham years ago met Winston Churchill. When Winston Churchill was the prime minister of England, Billy Graham was young, and it is said of this, whenever Billy Graham left, Winston Churchill looked at him and said, 
Now there goes a sincere young man. There's something about conviction and passion for what you believe in. Even in a casual conversation, here it is. Authentic Christianity is being willing to give up everything for Christ. It's being willing to lay it all down for Jesus Christ. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. If Christianity is true and you have life beyond the grave, we should be willing to give up everything for Jesus. Can somebody say amen? Heaven is worth it. It is like finding a field with a treasure in it, and in my joy, I give up everything to have that treasure, and the treasure is Jesus. That's John. No doubt where his passion lie. Then there's Herod. Let's go verse by verse through the passage to describe who Herod was. Verse 21. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. It was his birthday. Generally, Jews didn't celebrate birthdays. Did you know that? Birthdays were seen as narcissistic. They were seen as a celebration of me rather than a celebration of God, and usually it involved revelry and passions of lust. This day was no different. Verse 22, when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guest. In front of a bunch of drunk men, Herod's stepdaughter dances for all the men, including her stepdad, suggestively. This is a singular shame. Number one, because she's 14 or 15 years old. It's a double shame because Herodias knew about it, her mother, and let it happen. That's a double shame. This is a triple shame because her stepdad liked it. And this is a quadruple shame because this just shows whenever you do not repent, whenever I do not repent of sin, this, is, this just shows how far sin will push itself. This is shame in so many different areas. Verse 22, the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. You know when you get emotional and you just start saying things that are insane. You get done eating at Golden Corral, and you say, I'm never eating again. Not that I know anything about that. It's like when you miss a five-foot putt at the golf course, and you say, well, I'm never playing golf again. Or if that preacher doesn't quit on time, I'm just going to get up and leave. We don't mean that. Herod really didn't have anything to offer anyway. It wasn't his kingdom. He was a puppet king. He wasn't the real king. He was not the real king. The real riches went to the Roman emperor. He just put Herod there to keep things in order. He didn't have anything to offer the girl. I'll give you half my kingdom. It's not even your kingdom. It's not even your gold. It's not even your riches. It's not your land. You have nothing to offer. This is just braggadociousness. This is arrogance. This is sin getting to its full form. And then verse 24, she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? Which gives me the idea the mother was behind this whole thing. Verse 24, the head of John the Baptist once the girl hurried in to the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Because John was just a reminder that she hadn't repented. And whenever you're around somebody who just reminds you that you haven't repented, you grow hatred and bitterness, and it even leads to murder. 
that's what grudges lead to, unchecked and unforgiven. Verse 26, the king was greatly distressed. This is the same word that was used for Jesus when he's in the Garden of Eden, or, or the, the Garden of Gethsemane. But because of his oaths and his dinner guest, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl. She gave it to her mother. I just got to tell you, it's a good thing I'm not God. Because if I was God, whenever Herodias opened that platter, I would have made John's eyes open. And I would have made his lips smile and say, it's still wrong for you to be with your brother-in-law. It's a good thing I'm not God. And I got to wonder, is this how God treats his faithful followers? Is this what you're going to do with John? I thought if you give your life to Jesus and, and, and you're faithful to him, all's going to turn out well. Is this what happens to God's faithful can we sit in here today and say, if you give your life to Jesus, nothing bad's going to ever happen to you for the rest of your life? Is that what the Bible teaches? It's not. That's called the prosperity gospel. It's popular. It's thrown out there all the time. That's not what the New Testament teaches. That's not what the Old Testament teaches. Here's just a reminder. I just want you to catch this. God will not be mocked. Herodias did not win. It looked like she won. She didn't win. And it looked like John lost. John didn't lose. God doesn't collect all his debts in 30 days. And because we can't see past the grave, there's a lot of things in this earth that seems unfair. But we can't see what God can see. That's Herod. That's Herod right there. Now I want to go back at the beginning of the story, verse 19. I want to walk through some passages that are for us before we close today. Verse 19 says, So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to. Because, now watch this, Herod feared or revered or respected John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to John the Baptist preach. Hmm. Whoa, whoa, time out. Herod liked John, just killed him. He liked his preaching. He liked the show. He liked the buzz. He liked the celebrity status. He liked the feeling. He went to church when John the Baptist was preaching. Huh. Now, he didn't like it that John preached against him. That part of the sermon probably he didn't like too much. But he liked John the Baptist as a preacher. He liked the sermons. He might have said amen. He might have opened his Bible when he said, turn to Mark chapter 6. He liked John. He liked the whole experience, but here's the kicker. He never responded to John's message. I hope I'm wrong. But is it possible we are filling churches in America today with a whole bunch of people who like the show, who like the message, who like the lights, who like the music, who like the activity, who like the churchiness, the religiosity, the feeling that we get whenever we leave church, but we never respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We never make him our consuming passion. We never totally devote ourselves to him. But hey, I went to church. It felt good. I did my hour this week. I put it in. It, all, it was all good. That's, that's out there. I'm not as concerned about out there. I am concerned about what's in here. Church, friends, I love you. Here's the deal. All of us are John or Herod. We're one or the other. 
You're John or you're Herod. You're John in the sense that Jesus sits on the throne of your heart. Nothing gets in the way of you and Jesus. He is your consuming passion. No matter what else happens in your life, you have Christ. You would give it all up for Jesus at the end of the day. You would lay down your life for Jesus Christ. You're either John or you're Herod. You're here. You like it. It's cool. You go home and you feel good, but you've never responded to Jesus. Verse 29, the last verse. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. They showed respect for the body of John. I don't know if John had a tombstone. If he did, I hope it had the epitaph of the words of Jesus. For here lies the greatest man who ever lived, the forerunner of the Son of God, the last prophet and you killed him over a girl dancing. We're all either Herod or John. All right, here's the message. It's easy to listen to the message. Many listen. It's easy to enjoy the feeling the word of God gives. Many enjoy it. It's easy to show up. Many show up. But this whole thing is not real until you respond to Jesus. This is not real until he becomes your consuming passion in your life. It's like coming month after month but never giving. It's like enjoying the blessings of the word of God on Sunday but never inviting others into that blessing. It's like being part of the body of Christ on Sunday but never sharing that message of the love of Christ with anybody else you love during the week. Here it is. I love you too much to not tell you this. I love you too much to let this be a place where we sit and have a good time and we enjoy all this. And if you know me, come on, you know I enjoy it. You know this is fun, but I love you too much to just let you go without responding to Christ. I don't want anybody in this room in hell. We're either Herod or we're John. We either, hey, it's all cool. We like the message. I got all the CDs. That's old school. I got all those MP3s. What, what's new school? MP, don't, yeah, it's not, MP3s, like, yeah. I got all that stuff. I sing Christian music in my home. So did Herod, I think. But he never responded. Here it is. This church is going to push for commitment. It's going to push for action. That's why those Sandman cards are in your chairs. Because we are not cool with faith without action. James said, faith without action is dead. It's not real faith. And so we, we're pushing for a response. We're pushing for you to say, I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to make him the consuming passion of everything I do. And when you do, everybody else around you knows it. When people look at you, what do they say the consuming passion of your life is? That guy, Prince, music. What's the consuming passion of your life? Are you leading your family toward a devotion towards Christ? I want to, man, wow, this is not like the usual message adventure. That was direct. Well, you want to hear the sermon John gave Herod? Look at verse 18. 
For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. How's that for direct? How's that for a sermon? Now, he probably added some illustrations and exegeted some Old Testament passages and threw in a poem and had three points that all started with the same letters. I don't know. I'm sure it was longer than that. But here it is. It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. That's direct. So here, here, here's, here's my direct message. God is real, and God is perfect, and we are not. He has a standard of holiness, and we have not met it. And there is going to be a punishment for everybody who has ever sinned, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, Jesus took that punishment on the cross for each and every one of us. You are gonna stand before God someday, and I am gonna stand before God someday, and my kiddos are gonna stand before God someday, and we are gonna be punished for our sin, and our sin is either gonna be punished on that day or it's gonna be the punishment on the cross, and I want me, I want my wife, I want my kids, and I want each and every one of you in here today to accept the free gift of salvation that God offered on the cross through his son Jesus Christ. Nobody has to die and go to hell. Amen? Amen. Nobody has to. And going to church doesn't get you to heaven. And enjoying the message doesn't get you to heaven. But responding to Jesus the way God's word says to respond to Jesus gets you to heaven. And if you want to make that decision, then I'm going to directly ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for you and raised three days later? Do you believe? Do you want to respond? Do you want to make him the consuming passion of your life? And if you do, Scripture says to repent, turn your life around, and be baptized. If you have not done that, you need to do that. How about that for direct? We're either Herod or we are John. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. This is a tragic story, isn't it? This made me mad this week. This is how John the Baptist goes, really. But about halfway through the week, uh, week I realized it's, not, it's tragic, but it's not tragic because of why I thought it was tragic. I thought it was tragic because John died. That's not why it was tragic. John lives forever in heaven. And I thought it was tragic because I thought Herodias got away with it. She did not get away with it. She did not. God will not be mocked. John didn't lose anything. He gained everything. Philippians 3 says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What would you give up for Jesus? That's the message. I want to share with you one, one verse from Matthew who records the same story that Mark does not record. Here's what Matthew 14 says. Verse 12, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Mark said that too, but here's what Matthew said. Then they went, now catch this, they went and told Jesus what just happened to John. When Jesus heard what had happened to John, so he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So last week, Jesus is rejected by his own hometown Jesus says, shake the dust off your feet. Move on. 
He goes back to his childhood friends and they throw rocks at him. And Jesus said, I didn't worry about it. This week, they kill his cousin John. And he backs off for a few days. And he goes to a lake by himself. And Jesus mourns. Why? Why Jesus do that? A couple things. Jesus hates sin. Not for why you think. You know why Jesus hates sin? Because of what it does to people. He loves people so much that he hates sin. Because sin destroys people. The law of God is not there so that he had a list of rules. See, if you can keep it, ha, you didn't keep it, ha. The law of God is there because God is trying to keep us from destruction. And when you watch the path that Herod and Herodias went down, they were unchecked in their sin. That's a picture of where sin goes. Sin always pushes the envelope one step farther, doesn't it? We know this, come on, we know it. If you uncheck your sin, sin goes one step farther to craziness and destruction. It killed John the Baptist over something ridiculous. Jesus hates sin because he loves you. But the second reason, I think the biggest reason, Jesus had to get a few minutes by himself. This was a preview of coming attractions. They did this to John. Ah, they're about to do it to me. They have no problem killing John. My day's coming. And it did. And Herod was there. The night of his crucifixion, Herod was in Jerusalem. Herod always wanted to meet Jesus. Herod finally got to meet Jesus. Pilate had him. Jesus is talking to Pilate. Pilate didn't know what to do. He sends him to Herod. Herod gets to meet Jesus. Jesus remembers this day. And when Herod was asking Jesus questions, do you remember Jesus' response? He wouldn't talk to him. Jesus never responded to Herod's questions. Oh, oh, he talked to Pilate. He talked to the soldiers who arrested him. He talked to the other people on the cross, the, the, the other two crosses. When Herod got in front of him, he never said a word. Herod said, not very impressive. Not a very impressive man. I've been looking forward to this moment to meet Jesus. Not very impressive. Yeah, kill him. You're either Herod or you're John. I mean, you're here today. You're not anti-Jesus. You like the message. You like the singing. You like the whole thing. You're seeking. Herod was seeking. He wanted to meet Jesus. He was standing in front of the Son of God, and he didn't even know it. He's sitting to the cross. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. We're about to sing a song. Whenever we sing this song, I'm going to ask you, hey, and this is as direct as we've ever been at Venture, if you
you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to say yes, you know what? I've been watching, I've been listening, I've been studying, I've been praying, I've been seeking. There's more to this life than what I thought there was. I found it in Jesus. If you wanna respond, come grab me. I'll be sitting right here on the front row. Come grab me, I'll pray with you. We will walk through the next steps for you in your response to Jesus Christ. Would love to have that conversation for you. If you need prayer, if you need healing, if you need an arm around you, if you need somebody to love on you, I will be right here during this song. Let's bow.